Deuteronomy chapter number 8. I'll read from the New Living Translation. And so it may not appear quite as archaic as yours, but I believe it'll shoot just as straight. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8. If you have it, say amen. amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Now remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Now think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. The people of God say amen. amen. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight the Lord has shared with me the subject to share with you, walk this way. Walk this way. It's one of life's biggest questions is, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what he wants me to do in any given moment? How do I know what he would have me to do in a particular situation? How do I know that I'm pleasing to him or whether I'm off? And when we see other people blessed, we know that God can give guidance. And we know when we look in the mirror that God has given guidance. But sometimes as we look into an uncertain future, we question whether or not God will keep on giving guidance. But there's an old song that says there is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you. And sometimes our own impatience or unbelief gets in our way because if we heard a word from the Lord on Saturday and we obey on Sunday, we expect to be blessed by Sunday night. <laughs> we expect manifestation immediately as though God is somehow obligated to microwave our miracles. <laughs> that somehow we are baking a cake and God gives a little word and we give a little obedience and we stir it all together. We, shot, we slide it in the oven and out pops our blessing. But in Isaiah 55, God reminds us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, his ways are higher than ours. And his thoughts are higher than ours. So if we trust God to do the right thing by us, because he does have our best intentions in mind, the question becomes, what do you do 
when God's promise for your life takes you up the rough side of the mountain? What do you do when God's promise for your life takes you across the backside of the desert? What do you do when it gets hard to quote your Sunday school scriptures and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding? What happens when that gets hard to do? You know it, but it's hard to do. What do you do then? When you're so close to your promise, you can almost taste it. You're so close. You can almost grab it, but it seems to elude your reach. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I imagine a few of you tonight have been there too. The children of Israel, they've been there. And as the curtain goes up on Deuteronomy chapter number 8, we see Moses appealing to the people of God, asking them to obey on the basis of God's faithfulness in their lives. Verse 1, he says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. And then you'll live and multiply. You'll enter and occupy the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. In other words, if we obey all that God calls us to do, then we will receive all that God has promised to give us. Sometimes we confuse the grace of God for a license to sin. And just because there's grace doesn't mean that there's not responsibility that comes with the grace of God on our lives. The word tells us here that if we are obedient in all God has called us to do, that we will then receive all that God has promised. God has called us to complete obedience in a culture that everything goes. We see what the world is doing. We see what others are able to get away with. I mean, I'm reminded of my own childhood. I grew up in church, and my mother would tell me, these are things that we do, these are things we don't do. Then I'd go off to school, and I'd see folks, some of whom went to church, saying and doing all kind of craziness, and I said, well, why can't I do that? Why can't I go to the club and turn up? Why can't I do all these things that it seems like are part of being young? Am I missing my youthfulness for godliness? But what I recognize is that while the world is doing what they want, they don't serve the same king. They're not a part of the same kingdom. And so we as people of God, we have ears for our king. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Then I give unto them eternal life. I learned a tough lesson when I was growing up. Learned this from my mom firsthand. I learned that Selective hearing <laughs> leads to certain discipline. You'll get that when you get to the house. Selective hearing, where you hear what you want to hear and tune out what you don't want to hear, leads to certain discipline. 
<laughs> it's quiet in here tonight. Obedience, we think, is about bondage and about constraint. But the truth is, obedience leads to freedom. And if we trust God, then obeying all his commands isn't even really a problem. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said, and I quote, Faith and obedience are inseparable. Obedience is evidence of real faith, end quote. So we see here that Moses is calling them to obedience, but in verse 2 we see that he is asking them to obey on the basis of what God has already done. Here he says in verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. Remember what the Lord your God has done for you. In other words, let your memory of what God has done motivate your obedience. And some of us, brothers and sisters, are not experiencing the abundance of God's blessing in our lives because we not only have selective hearing, but we also have selective amnesia. We forget what the Lord has done. We forget his track record of faithfulness. But when I think of his goodness and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. When I think of what he's done for me, my soul responds with one word, yes. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to your plan. Because your plan is perfect. I say yes to the Lord when I recognize his faithfulness and Moses is telling them, remember what the Lord has done. Remember how God led y'all through the wilderness out of Egyptian slavery in a 40-year journey through the wilderness. Now, before you possess the promised land, you're going to have to walk this way. An interesting thing about this promise before I Proceed is that the promise was to their ancestors. And I want to encourage us tonight to recognize that sometimes the things we're experiencing from God in our lives are blessings that were promised to our ancestors. Your grandmama prayed for you. Your grandfather prayed for you. Your parents prayed for you. And through all your wandering and going astray, there was still a blessing over your life. And so for those of us who are parents in the room tonight, let me encourage you that while you can't save your baby, God can make a promise to you about generational blessings that can take effect in their life even after you're gone home. Before you possess the promise, God will lead you into the wilderness. God will bring you to a place of surrender where your strength and your pedigree and your connections and your degrees and your hustleness and your money and your cars and your 
jumbo crib are all useless to you. He'll bring you to a place where all you've got is his name and his grace. Is there anybody here who's been there? Where you have been brought so low that you question whether God was even on your side. And sometimes we get confused about it. Because when we get brought out of these places, then we think that what we have accomplished is a credit to our own brilliance. We think that God has blessed us because of our works. But it's all his grace. It's not by works lest any man should boast. Is there anybody in the room tonight who can testify that like the Apostle Paul, I am whatever I am by the grace of God. And everything I am and everything I've got, God gave it to me. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, said the Lord. Everything you've got, God gave it to you. God is responsible for your success. God is responsible for your marriage staying together. God is responsible for you being able to bounce back after your marriage failed. God is responsible for you being alive tonight. And so Moses says to them, remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness these 40 years. And here's what he did. He humbled you and tested you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. It's interesting, y'all, because if the Lord was leading us this way to humble us and test us, we might falsely believe that we are being tested because the Lord doesn't know what we're made of. So the Lord is going to like put us through these tests to see how we do. And then based on this new information, then decide to give you a blessing or not. But the strange thing, you all, is not that God is testing us to get information from us. God is testing us to get information to us. He's testing us because many of us don't know what we're made of. Many of us don't know the real us. Self-deception is a dangerous thing. Because we all, in order to survive in this world, figure out how to package ourselves in ways that seem appealing to others. So we put on the mask, a mask of holiness, because that's what the church folk expect. We put on a mask of a happy home, because that's what they expect. So underneath all the makeup and wigs and weave, you've got to be comfortable with who you are. You've got to be comfortable with who you are beneath the Armani suit. Underneath and inside the Bentley. You got to understand who you are and be comfortable with that. You have to accept, we have to accept 
the real us. And if we're not willing to understand who we are, God will put you in a position to get revelation about who you really are. God said to them, I brought y'all out of Egypt, but now I've got to bring Egypt out of you. You can take somebody out the hood, but you can't always take the hood out of them. You can take somebody out the projects, but sometimes there's some project ways that just stick. You can take somebody out the suburbs, but you can't always take the suburbs out of them. And God says, if you're going to possess what I have promised you, I need you to understand who you really are. I need to prepare you. Because if you make a mess out of my promise, it will have been a waste. God knew that if he had released them into the promise too soon, they'd turn back because of the opposition. Flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, if you will. Look at this. This is what Moses said. Moses says to them in verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, he'll clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Haterites. And sometimes when we go in, we're going to the promised land, we think that the promise of God comes with a bowl of cherries and a box of chocolates. But I come to tell you tonight that every promise comes with persecution. And if you're not ready to handle it, your gift might take you somewhere that your character can't keep you. It's God's interest not just to get you to your promise. He's less interested in your promise than he is in you. And he'll do whatever it takes to perfect you, even if it means keeping you from your promise. Help me, Holy Spirit. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Embassy. There can be no shortcuts. Now as we look at the landscape of leadership in the kingdom of God and outside of it, we find a lot of leaders with a lot of frailty. And we see that in many cases, people are being overexposed but underdeveloped. And God may be taking you the long way, the 40-year way for what could be a 10-day journey. He's taking you the long route so that he can cover you while he perfects you. So he can work out what's in you. And so I would, if everybody in this house would lift your hands and say, Lord, prepare me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That has to be our prayer tonight, that the Lord won't allow us to accelerate beyond his grace. But we also see that not only has the Lord taken them this way to prepare them, he's also taken them this way to prove himself to them. Look at this. 
In verse number three, he says, Moses says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, but rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, I'll put you in a place where you're so isolated and cut off from everything and everybody else that you'll have no choice but to rely on me. You'll have to hold on to my word for dear life because that's all you've got. And we know, brothers and sisters, that God has promised to provide for us, but sometimes he provides for us in ways that we think are strange. Sometimes we think when we get a promise from the Lord that we understand exactly when and how it's going to come. Now, I get a lot of packages at home from UPS. And when I get a package coming from UPS, the day before, I get an email saying, there will be a shipment arriving at your home at 3 p.m. tomorrow. And when it comes, let us in. (laughs) I have an expectation of the size of the box. I have an expectation of what's in the box. And I have an expectation of what time the box will arrive. And sometimes we think God is like UPS, who will forecast for us when the box will come and tell us what's inside the box and ask us to sign for the box. But when we expect God to do it when, where, and how we want, and it doesn't come packaged quite as we expect it, sometimes we miss the move of God. Those of you all who are single and you're looking for that brother 6'3", tall and handsome, and the brother who's 5'8", with dad bod, walks by, and you don't see him, you have just possibly missed God. When you were unemployed, and you worked all your connections, you expected that the God of your salvation was going to open the door through one of your hookups. And it didn't happen. But then there was a little flyer that got slipped under your door. And you're like, what is, I don't know, I don't know that. You might have just missed the move of God. Now, I'm believing God for some stuff for you all, and I believe there are a few of you all in the room tonight who are believing God for some things too. But he may not come when and how we want him to, but he will come on time. And when God does it, I believe with all my heart and soul that he's going to do it suddenly. Not when you were expecting, but Suddenly. Is there anybody here tonight who's looking for a suddenly? Suddenly. Because God promised it. God's going to do it. His promise is unchangeable. His promise is unshaken. Man doesn't live by just bread. The things that we can do for ourselves. Not just the natural 
what we see and how we feel and what we heard. For we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And some people say that faith in the modern day is a crutch for people who are weak and people who don't have resources. Those are the only ones who need God. But I've learned that you can be materially wealthy but spiritually poor. Because your money cannot always get you out of when tragedy strikes your family. Money can't always get you out of depression and discouragement. Money can't always get you out of a difficult diagnosis from the doctor. But I do know one thing that can. It's the word of God. The word of God is able to do far more for us than anything we've got. And when I reflect on my own life, and I believe there are a few witnesses in the house tonight who can testify to the fact that had it not been for one word, you wouldn't be alive tonight. You would not be here. One word, you'd be dead. You'd be crazy. You would have thrown in the towel. But one word came saying, weeping may endure for a night. Joy comes in the morning. One word came down to you that said, I'll turn your mourning into dancing. And I'll give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. One word that came down that said, in the midst of your despair, my grace is sufficient. One word kept some of us alive tonight. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And when we have his word lighting our path, we know that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We know that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? One word will keep you when you don't want to be kept. One word will stir in your spirit and remind you that the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. It's one word. You might just be one word away from your breakthrough. It's the word of God that we depend on. It's the word of God that has sustained us. It's the word of God that has kept us. And he has perhaps allowed a difficult situation in your life just so he could send you that one word to show you who he is. See, the difficult circumstances in your life are not always about punishing you. Maybe God allowed you to be sick so that he'd have an opportunity to reveal himself to you as Jehovah Rapha. Maybe God allowed you to get down to your last dime and exit out of your subdivision quietly so that he could prove to you that he is still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides. So there may be somebody here tonight who finds himself in a hard place, but I came to encourage you that God might just have you in that hard place so that he could prove himself to you. God had them walk the long route first to prepare them 
Secondly, he had them walk the long route so he could prove himself to them. But thirdly and finally, God had them walk the long route so that he could preserve them. He preserved them in the middle of the wilderness. God could have taken them 10 days to the promise, but he led them the 40-year long way. They could all see the promised way. They knew the shortcut, but they couldn't take it because God had to preserve them. Is there anybody here tonight who can look back over your life and testify to the fact that God preserved you? God has kept you. You've been kept by the power of God. You've been pressed but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. You can say like Job, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. When you look back at your life, you can see just like the children of Israel in verse 4 that for all those 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. I don't know about you, but some of us need new clothes every season. 40 years. Not only did they not wear their clothes out, they apparently didn't outgrow them either. (laughs) Forty years, their clothes didn't wear out, and, here's the good part, and their feet didn't blister or swell. What? Y'all can look at me like I'm speaking Greek if you want to, but some of y'all know After 40 minutes, your feet might blister or swell. 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. 40 years, their feet didn't blister. They did not ride along the wilderness. Now, some of y'all may be first-time visitors. They didn't ride. They walked. (laughs) They walked. God kept them on the walk. And while it may feel like punishment, it's for your good. When you look back over your life, can testify that if it had not been for the Lord on your side, where would you be? If it had not been for the Lord on your side, the enemy would have taken you out. The enemy would have destroyed you. But God's grace kept you. And now you have a testimony. So now you can thank him for the mountains. And you can thank him for the valleys. And you can thank him for the storms he brought you through. Because if you never had a problem, you wouldn't know that God could solve them. You wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. But through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned 
to depend upon his word. So when the storms begin to rage in your life, just say, Lord, keep me. Keep my mind. Keep my heart. Keep my soul. He kept me, church. Through everything I've been through, he kept the children of Israel, and that's why I can still have joy. That my joy is not contingent on what I go through. Happiness requires a circumstance to prompt me to be happy in response. But joy is a condition in my soul. And because I know that he's holding my soul, I can still have joy. I can still have peace. I can still have love in my heart. I can still have strength. I can still have power. I can still have hope because of what the Lord has done. That's why I'm still here. Not through goodness of mine own. It's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. I'm here because the Lord saw fit to keep me when I didn't even want to keep myself. The Lord kept me. And so this joy I have, the world didn't give it. And if the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight who can lift up holy hands, lift up your voice, open your mouth, and give God a shout for keeping you. Hey, thank you, Jesus. He kept you. That's why you don't look like what you've been through. Because he's kept you. That's why you don't look like what you're going through. Because he's keeping you. The Lord will keep you because you are his billboard. You are his evidence to the world that God is still on the throne. That God still saves. That God still heals. That God still delivers. That God is yet in the middle of a godless world. He is still God. He's still God. He is still God. And Father, how grateful we are. How grateful we are that you allowed us to see your goodness in the land of the living. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to walk this way, to prove to us what's really in us. And if it's not like you, please take it. We thank you that you allowed us to see your grace in action because you've proved yourself over and over and over and over again. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us a testimony of how you've preserved us, how you've kept us for such a time as this. We thank you, Lord, for drawing us closer to you drawing us into the center of your will because while it may not be comfortable and while there will be opposition it's for your glory we give you glory tonight we give your name praise 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight, as the prayer team comes, and you find yourself wondering why it is the Lord had you walk this way, why the Lord would seemingly do this to you, I want to remind you that he is a good, good father. And he is so concerned about you. He's not willing that any of us should perish. You can't die on the way to your destiny. And if you're here and you're struggling in your own heart and soul, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to begin to open your heart to a fresh wave of the grace of God. And if you're here and need prayer, I'd ask that you'd come forward and receive the boost you need for the journey. But also, if you're here, and you don't know Jesus Christ in the pardon of your sins. And you say, all this grace and mercy and keeping power, I just don't have it. But he's kept you to this point for you to be able to say yes to Jesus Christ. His arms are open wide. I want you to come. Everybody standing.